All right, before someone reads for us, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I'll pray one more time. Father, we're just desiring collectively unified in one accord to be sanctified by your truth today. Recognizing the love we are being called to is impossible. It's only an outflow of your divine nature and us partaking in it. And so we recognize our need for transformation. We recognize our need for sanctification. We recognize our need for alignment. We recognize our need to be refined and purified for this love to flow. We recognize that we're being trained not to love in human ways, not to love in fleshy ways, feelings ways, emotional ways, but to be conduits for your love to flow through. We recognize that is unique, that it is love that we do not. We are not the source of it, Lord. And so we recognize the need for your word to transform us, and we pray today that that's exactly what happens, that we would have ears to hear your truth and that we would be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, First John chapter 3. Someone want to start reading for us in verse 10? Kirby, thank you. Uh, we're going to go 10 through 23. Okay, so very clearly right there the word teaches that sons of God and sons of the devil are manifest by two things. Sons of the devil are manifest by the lack of two things. What are those two things? Righteousness and love. Not loving others. The sons of Satan, the devil... Those that do not belong to God, they are manifest, which means they are shown to be who they are by a lack of righteousness and loving others. Sons of God, those who are authentically born again and those who do belong to God manifest or show themselves to be who they are by having those two very things, which are righteousness and love. What are they? Righteousness. Righteousness and love. What do sons of God walk in? Righteousness and love. What do people who do not belong to God fail to walk in? Righteousness and love. You got to beat the drum over and over and over sometimes. Right? This is the word of God saying this is the fruit that shows the root. Right? The only way we know anything is by judging the fruit. By the fruit you shall know them. 
Okay, look in the mirror, saints. By the, your fruit is how you know yourself. If you walk in righteousness and you have love for others, you belong to God. If you do not walk in righteousness and you have no love for others, you do not belong to God. I don't care how many services you attend. Kirby? Okay, so what love specifically are we talking about? Sons of God walk in righteousness and love. What love specifically named in this section? Love for who? The brethren. The brethren. Who's the brethren? We are. Okay, so the love that only the sons of God will manifest, one of the primary targets of that love is the church. Why does that make sense? Because we're talking about the divine nature. What does God care deeply for? The bride. You cannot and are not walking in God's divine nature if you don't love the bride, the brethren, or each other. Go ahead, Kirby. Verse 16, the Okay, so it's not enough to say I love the church. I love the saints. I love the bride. It's not enough to say that. We got to live that. The love that we are talking about, as we've said over and over again, is not an emotion and it's not a feeling. It's a decision and an action. So we're about to hear that action looks like. Go ahead. So one of the ways we show love is what? World's goods. World's goods. Is it important for us to meet the needs of those who have needs? It's a named expression of brotherly love. A named expression. The church should constantly be meeting the body's needs. We should constantly be meeting each other's needs. Right? It's one of the reasons why we stock Walmart cards in the back. Because I don't even want you guys to have to ask. I, I just want to skip the step of having to ask. The dominant expression of this congregation's love for this congregation is going to be everyone's needs are met. So when you have a need, take a card. Okay? And that will always be the case. And if your need is larger than that card can handle, then you can ask me. And we will meet it. Because it's one of the ways that we love each other. And it should mean something to belong to a church in a congregation that Jesus is the head of. Because it means something to belong to God and to be sheep of his pasture. So that is going to be the constant 
commitment of this church congregationally, but that extends, as this text says, to each of you individually. And when you see a need, whether it be in this church or outside of it, God says, this is an expression of the love that you're called to meet that need. We've already gone over this, so. Just hit it again, Kirby. All right, go ahead. Proud to hear what's pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Okay, so the text, this text, this section of text, as Kirby mentioned, is titled The Imperative of Love. And it starts off by saying, This is how you know if you belong to God or not. Two pieces righteousness and love. In today's, um, before I share the testimony today, I just want to, um, I just want to give, give mention to this. Those two steps are, are, are constantly present. And, um, and one of the things that I feel like the Lord is convicting me of, and I think hopefully um, this congregation of, because we've spent such a great deal of time over the last handful of years focusing on the righteousness piece, the holiness piece, which is so critical, the, the obedience to the commandments of God peace. And because we've been camped there for so long, focusing on, on obedience, I feel like um, um, this balance is being um, readdressed. The balance that says you can't just camp on righteousness for righteousness sake or obedience for obedience sake or holiness for, or for holiness sake. Those things are in place because um, they lead to the outflow of love. And if, you, and if you camp just on obedience and if you, and if you fail to recognize the why behind obedience and righteousness being this outflow of love lots of bad fruit can come bad fruit that um that naturally happens when you kind of turn in on yourself and fail to keep our eyes on the big picture all right so um so go with me back to second peter chapter one and i just want to connect a couple dots for us show us how the Lord has been preparing us for this balance for the whole year really since Pentecost whole year however long that's been two, a month or two yeah. um, go to First Peter, uh, Second Peter chapter 1 with me this was the text that we started on recognizing that the love that we are being empowered to walk in is the love that is the expression of the divine nature of God. It is love that is not 
as we've said, based on feelings. It is not fleshy love. It is not, um, it's not a love that's possible outside of the Holy Spirit of God. So to recognize this love as, as being the expression of God's divine nature is right on the money. And so this is the text that, that the Lord took us to, to um, help us know that everything that we need to partake in the divine nature has been given, but that we have some diligent steps that we are to take to walk in this nature. So um, the text is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through Nine. Kirby, would you keep reading? You're doing such a great job. Okay, so that's his way of saying he's writing to the saints. This is a letter to the saints. Go ahead, Kirby. Okay, an amazing promise in those verses. A little bit difficult to, to maybe receive upon reading it just once, but if we unpack these couple verses here, it's pretty simple. He says, God's done everything necessary by the giving of some specific promises for those that belong to him to partake in his nature. This has always been the goal of God, to have a set-apart holy unto him group of people that partake in his nature and express his goodness and his will in the earth. He has found a way to do that. And it was not through the law. If it was through the law, the nation of Israel would have accomplished that a long time ago. It was through his heart and his spirit being given. And so this says a promise that has been given to each of us make partaking in his divine nature available. That is the giving of his spirit and the giving of his heart. Two things prophesied about, two things that are accomplished when anyone is authentically born again. God gives us his heart and his spirit. From that point forward, his nature is available to us to partake in. This is Christianity 101. God's nature is available to partake in for anyone who's authentically born again. But Peter adds here that there are some things that we must be diligent to add. God's done his part by giving us his heart and his spirit. What must we add to it? Kirby, go ahead. Verse 5.
Okay, so when Peter says you got to be all with all diligence at these things, that's a pretty strong statement. The faith you're given, the heart you're given, the spirit you're given, those are all from God, promised, given, certain, but we got to add these things. And, and all I'm reminding us of this um, teaching is, is to show the same order in this text is the same order that we're teaching on right now. The divine nature starts with the foundation of virtue, which is what? What's that? Moral excellence. What does 1 John chapter 3 say? That everyone who is the son of God manifests righteousness and love. What is righteousness? Moral excellence. Virtuous living. Excellent living by God's definition. The foundation of any who belong to God, it's always going to be we walk in God's ways. We do life according to how he instructs us to do it. It's just the foundation, though. And if we get stuck in this place, if we get stuck focusing here and don't continuously recognize the big picture, we will turn in on ourselves. And that turning in will turn into pride and self-righteousness and judgment in the, on, in the wrong way. And that's what God's balancing us out here with for. So we don't get stuck here. Notice that all of these things essentially aid in this virtuous living. In order to live virtuously, we got to know what the Bible says about how to live. We've got to be self-controlled and we've got to persevere. Walking in God's ways regardless of what the world says. Right? All of these things essentially strengthen our virtuous living. But all of this is heading towards something. This is what I'm getting to. What is godliness? Anyone remember? Exactly. This is piety towards God. This is why we do it all. We do this out of devotion for God. A love for God manifested in what? The only way to love an invisible God? Obedience. Okay, but God is saying you can be virtuous in how you're living. You can be pursuing holiness. You can be pursuing obedience. You can be learning my ways and walking in my ways. But all of this is pointing towards something. We get closer to the tip of the spear when we recognize that brotherly kindness is part of the why. What is brotherly, brotherly kindness again? Same as 1 John chapter 3, loving the brethren. And the ultimate tip of this spear is love. And that's the... That's the... Um, the understanding of this balance point, when, when text after text after text talks about righteous, righteousness, godliness, holiness, purity, obedience, walking in God's ways is never an end in and of itself. It's always for the purpose, ultimately, of what? Love. Love as an outward expression. Love as an outward flow. A, 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 um, the tip of the spear, as we called it. And that love is ultimately for what purpose? To share, God. to share God. Or harvest, as we've mentioned in the past. What is God's will in the earth? Reconciliation. He is reconciling all things unto himself through Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And for all who are reconciled unto God through Christ, he in, invites us into the ministry of reconciliation. In order for us to be ministers of reconciliation, we got to walk in God's ways, which includes knowing them and being diligent and self-controlled and persevering when no one else is doing it. But that is not the point. All that provides for us, saints, is the foundation so that we can, in the earth, love. And ultimately, all of the obedience won't really get us much attention. Most of the world has no clue where the Sass family is walking in God's ways. A lot of it is done behind closed doors or, behind, or underneath the roof of our home. But what will the world see? That Diane and I love each other and edify each other and don't cut each other down or criticize each other. They will see the kids love each other. And even more importantly, hopefully, the world will be loved by the Sass family. That's why we have to have both. Does that make sense? You can't have one or the other. If all you do is love, but don't walk in any of God's ways, your life's going to be a wreck. Anyone know someone that lives in that category? I know a lot of people. A whole bunch of wreckage in their life, but they are lovers. Right? Then, then I know a bunch of people, I, I know a handful of people that have a ton of obedience in their life but they're turned in on themselves. And we can't be either of those. We've got to be both. That when you recognize this order, and the reason I feel like this order is being um, re-revealed to us or re-reminded to us um, is because of the testimony that I'm going to share. So there is... Oh, you all right, bud? Choking on that water. Um, go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Once you see this, you can't unsee it. Almost every instruction on how to live, especially in the, the epistles, it's ordered the exact same way. And it's really basically ordered this way. So here's an example, Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 14. Kirby, you're on fire. Colossians 3, 1 through 14.
Okay, so last week we, we circled back to a theological truth, a principle of God, illustrated over and over and over in the text. And that is whenever God is getting ready to do something, there is an order by which he does it. And the order is what? Removal first and then addition. Right? Like he told the prophet Jeremiah, I'm setting you over the nations and I'm calling you to do what? Root out, tear down, destroy, pull down, then plant and build. So that is just a kingdom principle. You remove first everything that does not honor God, that is not for God, from God, by God, or, or pleasing to him. You remove all those things first and then we add. So in in, in virtually every teaching in the text, especially in the, the epistles, when we just have straight instruction for living, this is the order. And what's the order here in, in Colossians 3? What's the first thing that you do? You remove all the junk. All these behaviors and, and, and focuses and, and appetites that are just not for a believer anymore. It's removal first. I'm just showing you the order. It's over and over and over in the scripture. The first job act of obedience is always pruning first. So, so go back, um, Kirby, to, to uh, verse 5. This is the removal piece. This is the subtraction piece. In, 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 uh, starting in verse 5. Notice, too, that the language is, don't stop doing this, right? Because if you stop doing something, you can easily do what? Start again. What's the, what's the, what's the instruction for biblical removal? Put it to death. It doesn't exist anymore. The strength of the language is to communicate you don't pick it back up. Go ahead. Uh, verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves must walk when you live in them. Okay, he ain't done yet. Verse 8. But now you yourselves are put off, verse, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the Okay, so the, the purpose of putting off the old man is why? To, to make room for the new man. You got to put off the old man in order to put on the new man. Okay, what are we not allowed to do? We are not allowed, saints, to put the new man over the old man. Right, this is, this is the biblical principle in a nutshell. 
That is not what we are called to do. We don't take the old man and polish him up a little bit. We don't take the old man and try a little harder. We don't take the old man and make him make better Facebook posts and put on this front or this facade that we've got it together. Just not the way God works. We do not have permission to dress up the old man better. The call in every teaching is the old man dies. The old man's got to die. And what is the old man? Everything we just read. Idolatry, covetousness, fornication, anger, malice, jealousy, gossip, slander, drunkenness, revelries. It's all old man. It's got to die because the old man cannot be put over that. Now, what's the old man? What's the purpose of the new man, Kirby? Verse 12. Character of the new man. Well, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so, all, so you also must do. Verse 14, the whole purpose. So there is this constant repeated theme that the Lord is reminding us of. And that is love is the point. It's always the last thing on the list. Just like this list, same, same list in Colossians chapter 3, same list in like four or five other places. All these things have to be put off so that all these things can be put on. And the outflow of all these things ultimately is love. That's the biblical protocol. So, 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 so the testimony that um, that I began last week—that all this kind of theological instruction. Um, was given for was, ult was ultimately the result of me asking a question how do I love more and um, as I said last week I asked the question um, because death was brought near the reality of death was brought near with, with what we see going on. And, um, and the, uh, y you know, the, the encouragement or the conviction that the Lord gave me was a remembrance that, like Hebrews said, it's appointed for every man to die. Every one of us has a reservation with death by God's permission, on God's timing, for God's purposes. And, um, and that could come at any time. And I was just reminded of that. And so the thought, my immediate thought was, well, how do I have 
How do I prepare for that moment in such a way where I have no regrets if I were to lose my wife? How can I possibly live today in a way in which that, if it was sudden, would not come with just enormous regret? And the only answer I got, obviously, was love. If we had loved as God calls us to love, regardless of when the Lord takes her, I would have no regrets. And that is opposed to if we'd have spent our life chasing stuff. Building wealth. Anything this world has to offer, it's all going to perish. As Solomon said, it's all temporary. It's all vanity. And so I was sort of re-centered, like, no, life, life is not about bank accounts and building and more stuff. None of that stuff will satisfy. And sometimes it takes death being drawn near to have that clarity. So I was grateful. I was grateful for a, um, the Lord using some things to bring clarity to me, but it ultimately led me to that question. I, I want to have no regrets. And the only way I'll ever have that when the, when the Lord takes the people in my life that I love the most, the only way I will have no regrets in that moment is to know that I loved. Know that they were loved by me. And then so it led me to think, I don't want to squander a moment. And that's when I, <laughs> I feel like the Lord um, began the answer to my question. by giving me the visible manifestation of a deeper root that he wanted to reveal. And the, the, visible, the visible piece that um, sort of immediately came to mind, and this was certainly because of how I live and the way in which the Lord was um, using those things to, to focus me on, on love and loving my wife in particular, loving my kids in particular. But, um, but I felt like the first answer he gave me uh, was my phone. And, um, and this is where the beginning of the revelation came that if you want to love more, Eric, what you need to do is remove the things in your life that are preventing you from love, loving. And that is what ultimately took me back to this whole piece. That the way God works for the things of God to grow and the things of God to come and the things of God to be built and the things of God to be planted and bear fruit, you don't first go to those things. 
you first remove the things that are preventing God from moving in your life, preventing God from working in your life. So in this case, it was like when I asked, how do I love more? God said, you got to remove things that are preventing you from love. And so I go straight to, um, well, I want to love my wife and kids. The opportunities that I have to do that, what's preventing me? And the first answer was your telephone. And so um, it, that immediately made sense to me because it's a distraction. And, um, and it's actually a fairly easy one to respond to. I didn't take it personally. I wasn't offended by it. I just saw some clarity there. Um, when, I, when I get home from work, so currently I'm working basically full-time during the, during the day, like most of you are. And, um, and when I come home from my day, uh, a lot of times I'll jump on my phone for some quick me time, right? And I'm not, I'm not looking at anything wrong. I'm uh, checking out CrossFit videos or, or gun videos or maybe playing a game or sometimes even watching sermons and teachings and stuff like that. But the conviction that I got was when you're sitting there watching your phone, you're not loving your family. So like I said, not offended, pretty simple to respond to. In fact, I even told my kids, um, I'm convicted about something. So here's what I need. I need whenever I come home from work, what did I tell you guys to do? Huh? Someone come meet me, take my phone and, and bring it upstairs. Put it up in my bedroom. Because I don't want, from the, from the time that I get home at four or five or six to when we go to bed, I don't want the stupid phone to distract me from loving my family. That was the conviction. But here's why I'm sharing this testimony. Because God gives us kind of macro level theological truth. He gives me, I, would, I, 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 would, I truly believe, sort of this macro level theological truth that I can share with this congregation and that I should be every week sharing with this congregation. Truth that he has for us timely or real-time truth regarding the things that he's inviting us into, the assignments that he has for this congregation, knowing full well what every one of us are going through, what every one of us are being called to. So do I believe that there is a macro theological truth for this congregation that he's calling us to love and that specifically right now he is calling us to examine things in our life that are preventing us from loving? I totally believe that's the truth. But here is where the macro level principles and, the, and, and theology and teaching should get super personal. And here's what I pray this congregation uh, does. And that is takes a teaching like we've been um, sharing and gets real personal with it. Personal by saying, all right, God, what in my life needs to be removed? Like that is the next step. It's not enough to just recognize the theological truth that God roots, uproots and tear down and destroy and throw down before he plants and builds. 
That's important, but that does absolutely nothing for us if we don't act upon it. So what does the act upon it look like? Well, this is specifically the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is it not? Just a couple verses I wrote down. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of the things that I've told you. So when I asked God, what do I need to do to love more? Immediately, it was the Holy Spirit that began, that began connecting all these dots. You know, this one, we even talked about this. This was like two months ago. That This is the life of, a, 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 of someone who is chosen and belongs to God. That they are at a moment of clarity given by the, by the Holy Spirit, going to experience justification. Right, that is the transactional moment when someone someone is authentically born again. The old man dies and the new man is born, complete with a new heart and a new spirit. That is a one-time, miraculous, entirely because of God moment. But from the moment we are authentically born again until the moment we die, we are to be experiencing sanctification. Sanctification, saints, is refinement. Refinement is almost exclusively removal. What, 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 does a, what does a refiner's fire do? It removes all the imperfections, all the impurities, all the garbage, all the wood, hay, and stubble, to use biblical words. right? So, so sanctification is removal, it's subtraction, it's pruning. This is almost entirely the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer. What conforms us constantly and ongoingly into the image of Christ, what transforms us into believable Actual witnesses is the refinement process, which is almost always subtraction. And, and that culmination of that sanctification work is the resurrection of our perfected bodies in the age to come that are incorruptible and immortal. That is the glorification piece in which there is no wood, hay, and stubble anymore. There is no impurities or imperfections. So, so we take this macro level teaching and then we get real personal with the Holy Spirit and he'll bring us to these texts. He'll bring us to remember these things that have always been taught. Holy cow, every time the Bible talks about how to live, it talks about all these things that you put off and then it talks about what you add. Oh my gosh, Jesus says, oh yeah, you don't sew a new patch onto an old garment. Why? It ruins them both. And you don't put new wine into old wineskin. Why? Because it ruins them both. We don't have an option to mix. We don't get to put the old man on top. We don't get to put the new man on top of the old man. Right? It just all starts coming back, remembering. Why do we remember? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He also, John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I get convicted, I need to love more. What do I need to do to love more? And I ask that question and God says, you gotta remove. So then I get real personal, well, what do I gotta remove? And then I feel like I almost answer my own question just thinking in my own way, well, I gotta remove my distractions. I gotta remove the things that I'm doing that while I'm doing them, I'm not loving my family. So get rid of your cell phone. Simple. Have one of your 
kids, every day when you get home, take your cell phone out of your hand and move it upstairs. But then, the, but then John 16 says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The truth is, saints, that my cell phone was not the issue. And my cell phone is not the issue. So it was the constant pressing into the question and the constant faithfulness of the Holy Spirit that was peeling back layers to actually get to the root. Because the cell phone is not the root, it's just the visible fruit. And when the Spirit convicted me of the root, it was actually very offensive and embarrassing and very personal. Guess what it was? Anyone got a guess? Hmm? What'd you say? Yep. It's pride. It's pride. A hundred percent pride. It's not your cell phone, Eric. You're not distracted, Eric. You're prideful. And when you get that from the Lord, that's very convicting. So then once that truth is revealed, then more texts come. In the next three, and then I'm done because I'm just sharing this testimony. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. You're, you're batting a thousand today, buddy. You're, you're sweeping. You're, you're sweeping the series today. Philippians two one through four. guys have read that text before probably many times I've read that text before many times we often recognize it as the humility that Christ put on to become our, our sin offering but but how but how the Holy Spirit led me into the truth of what he was dealing with in my own heart was the piece that says, in all lowliness, esteem others above yourself. And that lowliness is the same, same word as humility, exact same word. And so here's the conviction and revelation. I'm, 
not distracted from my family because my phone is an addiction. I'm coming home and I'm considering myself to be the most important person in that moment. I'm coming home and saying, it's my time now. I'm going to meet my own needs. I come home and say, I just need to, I, I, I just want to, I just want to, you see the difference? And so the phone is just the tool. The tool to do what? Give myself whatever I want. And that's, by the way, what all technology is and why it's so damaging. What technology offers now to any individual is whatever they want, whenever they want it. It is like the ultimate ego and pride builder is to just give someone technology and say, anything you want is yours. It's why kids who are being parented by technology are so angry and so easy to spot. The world 100% revolves around them because every piece of technology that they're constantly looking at is basically communicating to them. You can have whatever you want, anytime you want it, all day long, and it produces anger. Super easy to see. That's a whole nother sermon. But I'm... I'm more convicted of it than ever because I see exactly, it ain't, I'm reconvicted and have more clarity than ever to say it's not a small deal for me to come home and want to just jump on my phone and, and have what I want. That is revealing something. And the Spirit convicted me, it's revealing pride in you, Eric. You're selfish. You're being selfish in those moments. You're esteeming your own needs above your family's. And I don't care what you're watching, you're not loving your family. You're trading your own needs for theirs. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. A section of text entirely devoted to how we love. Entirely. How does it start? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. What is an offering and a sacrifice to God? What is a sweet smelling aroma to God? When someone does what? Sacrifices their life for the benefit of others. See, we can look at Christ's example of that and see it super easily. He gave his life. He sacrificed his love life for us, and the Bible calls that a sweet-smelling aroma to the to the Father. So how do I do that when I come home from work? The same way. My life is not mine. It does not belong to me. It is not for me. It is not about me. My life is about these guys. 
So to come home with this, what do I want? What do I need? How am I gonna relax? How do I wanna unplug? Wrong question. Wrong question, wrong focus. Biblical love and the biblical love that the Lord is convicting me is what he's calling us to is to take my entire life and say, it's for these guys and you and anyone else the Lord puts in front of me. So when I ask the question, God, how do I love more? He doesn't say, saints, here's what you got to add. That's not the way God works, and that's not the way biblical protocol works. That's not the way kingdom protocol works. His, he works the same way all the time. I should have expected the question to be, here's what you got to remove. It's so awesome. But sometimes what he says you need to remove is pretty painful. I thought I got off easy. I got to remove my phone, piece of cake. I can make that happen, employ my kids, look good doing it. Gets way more personal. When the Holy Spirit's involved, it gets way more personal. Nope, you said you got pride. You got selfishness. That's what needs to be removed. You gotta esteem others above yourself and you're not doing that. Look at what real love is. Imitate Christ. What's, what's, what, what did Christ do for us? Let's go back to 1 John chapter three. You guys missed this. I'm telling you, you missed it. You, go back and read it. 1 John chapter three, verse 16. It's amazing how these scriptures all connect. Every one of them connect. They all speak the same truth. What is it, Ben? Uh, this is what I wrote right before we started talking today after you read that. It says, lay down my life. They are more important than me. I'm not selfish. First John 3.16 is not about me. First John 3.16. Someone actually read the passage. And we will do what when someone reads that? Yes. I'm in for that. What a noble, awesome, God-honoring heart to have. I want to lay my life down. We would all agree how appealing that thought is. You know when Eric has the opportunity to do that, Susie? At about 4.05 on a Wednesday afternoon. When I come home hot and tired and all I want to do is grab my phone and watch what happened in the CrossFit games, God's saying you're not loving your family when you're doing that. You're trading that half an hour on your phone for time you could be playing Yahtzee with Jackson or sitting with Diane on the front porch and talking, finding out how her day went. Or reading what Kelly wrote that day. So God works this way in me. I believe he'll work this way in each of you. I believe this is the way biblical protocol works.
and sanctification works once you get the big picture which hopefully we can get in this gathering okay God says calling us to love the big picture is for love to come something needs to be removed something in each of our lives likely is preventing us from loving loving period no just loving more with the next step God says, Eric, for you to love more, the next step that you need to recognize is you got pride still. Which is convicting to me. You know, my, my discernment is not great. It's not bad. God's gonna strengthen it for sure. But I'll, but I'll tell you this, my, my discernment up to today is based almost exclusively on two things. Like I really um, feel that I can fairly accurate, accurately discern someone's authenticity with the Lord if I just look at two things, and that is humility and how they love their spouse. I really believe that's a very accurate some very accurate fruit to judge regarding how intimate someone is with the Lord, how authentic their walk with the Lord is. If I see humility on someone, I believe they have an authentic walk. I don't think you can be intimate with the God of the Bible and not be constantly humbled and have humility be a fruit. If I, I don't care how revelatory someone might be, if they're a pastor or a speaker or an author or, or whatever, I don't care if someone's got a prophetic word for me every time they walk up. If, if someone is prideful, my radar goes off. It's immature. I would argue it's immature discernment, but it is accurate often. And the other one is, do they love their spouse? Susie, you're an amazing example of that. Anyone to me who says they have an authentic walk with the Lord, but they can't love their spouse, don't believe it. I don't believe it. So because those are my two main sources of discernment in the two areas that I judge fruit in particular regarding someone's walk with the Lord, it's pretty convicting for the Lord to come to me and say, you're not loving your spouse as much as you should because you got pride. Dang. Okay. Now we start the pruning process. Now we start the removal process. I'm convicted. God's given me clarity. Now it's time to repent and be sanctified. So I share that example to be a testimony to how perfect the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, how real the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, how the, the way for this congregation to continue to move forward is to take these macro level truths that the Lord is showing us and get super personal with them. It does not happen in here. It'll happen when you're at home and you ask the Lord, what do I got to do to love more? And he tells you something that needs to be re removed because he will. I'm totally convinced of it. And it might get real personal. It might be something way out of the blue. 
My guess is, though, as it was with me, once it's revealed, it's like very, very easy to see. Absolutely. Yep. So as I said, Kirby's prayer uh, pr prior to this teaching, which I always love how knowing, knowing what I'm going to be sharing, it's amazing how often it happens that someone's prayer or like the a te part of the testimony or something just, it's just perfect alignment. So Kirby, I don't know if you guys remember, but he prayed about how we love people. And he, and he prayed um, essentially that we we need to get out of our our own perception, our own thoughts, our own ideas about what that might be. We just need to allow God to make that call. And, and to me, that's exactly what he's doing is as we are being pruned and refined, it's all for the purpose of his love to come forth. We don't even know it. We don't know what it is. It's so unique. It's so special. It's so divine. It's so eternal. Our part is not to produce that love. Our part is to remove all of the things that get in the way of it. And the most significant thing that gets in the way of it is our own freaking selfishness, which is rooted in pride. Some more time with the Lord for Eric. And I've been praying for God to make a way for that to happen for the last six months anyways. Now I see why. So praise God for clarity. I praise God for this testimony and for what it will mean in my life and in my marriage and in, in my family. And I pray that it encourages each of you to, to stay this course. Amen. So Father God, water this seed that it might bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. That we might love as you loved. We pray for ears to hear what the Spirit of the living God is speaking to each of us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. There are um, a lot...